Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at MorbidlyBeautiful.com. Morbidly Beautiful is your one-stop shop for all things horror content related, from interviews, reviews, top 10 lists, and of course, everything in between. I know, two episodes in a row. This fucking world's going crazy, I guess. Anyway, this week I have something I've kind of touched on in the past, and it's Giants. I believe I did an episode on the Nephilim, or a couple episodes even. I had a guest speaker share his insight on the Nephilim, and they were uh, giants to an extent, but there's never really been much proof of these creatures. So I was reading one of my favorite websites, and that's ancientorigins.net, and I came across proof, potentially, of a race of giants from way, way back in the day. And this is interesting because there is a quote-unquote finger that was found. Was it real? I don't know. Let's just get into the nitty gritty. This is our giants real. Ominous. Ominous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. Ominous. As I said, this is basically going to be right from ancientorigins.net. And uh, it's a two-parter. But it's not very long, so it should fit into one episode here, but let's just get into it. In April of 1988, the Swiss club owner, Gregor Spori, traveled to Egypt armed with a number of books recommended by a friend to learn about ancient Egyptian culture. It was a journey that would change his life forever. During this trip to Egypt, Spori, or Spori, I'm not sure how you say it, there's an umlaut that might make an A sound. S-P-O umlaut R-R-I. Spari? We'll go Spari was often found in the Great Pyramid, where he wanted to find out whether there was any biocosmic energy inside. Whole different episode, really. To achieve his goal, he crawled through shafts, bribed overseers, and spent endless hours in various sarcophagi waiting for evidence of a powerful supply. In vain, Spari believed that if you put a bottle filled with water on the top of the Great Pyramid, it would explode because of the cosmic energy. He did the experiment, but nothing happened as one would expect. Spari's journey was almost over when the bartender of the hotel he was staying at told him that he knew of an interesting excursion for him specifically. Now, as any bartender would do, he watched him and was interested in the extraordinary cases that he was trying to kind of prove or discover. So Spari was curious and decided to make up the excursion. On the second last day of his holiday, early in the morning, a taxi picked him up and took him to his destination. The bartender showed the driver a crumpled note with the address and his journey truly began. The journey was a two-hour cab ride to the district of Beer Hooker. I think that's how you say it. B-I-R? Beer? Anyway, a place near Sadat City, located about 100 kilometers northwest of Cairo. The cab dropped him off at a farm where Spari was met by an elderly farmer named Nagib. Now, Nagib is a descendant of an ancient family of grave robbers. From a legacy of his ancestors, Nagib inherited two wooden boxes full of valuables that provided him a good income over the years. Now, these are stolen treasures, but they were sold to Western tourists and the proceeds brought prosperous fortune to Nagib and his land. However, there was one item that never sold, which had been in his possession for over 150 years. Only a few people had ever seen this object. At this point in time, Nagib was in financial difficulties. Uh, his heirlooms, I guess, had been running out and he was running out of things to sell. So he decided to propose an offer to Spari just to see this particular object, photograph it, and hold it for a fee of just 300 bucks. 
So this was 1988, so 300 bucks is still a good chunk of change, but it's nothing super crazy. Spari sat on a wooden bench as Nagib pulled out a little wooden box and lifted the lid. And I say little, it's not really all that little, but you know. As a musty smell rose in the air, he took out an elongated packet wrapped in a leather cloth with lace around it. Underneath the cloth, old rags were wrapped around a strange-looking object. When Nagib unwrapped the package, a grey-brown oblong object emerged. He laid the object carefully in his hands and looked at it. He examined the object with immense curiosity. He suddenly realized what he was holding. It was a gigantic mummified finger. And there's pictures of this all over the internet. Just look it up. Giant mummified finger. It is weird. It's bizarre to say the least. Now when I say giant, I don't mean like, you know, that guy who is all over the internet with ginormous hands and arms. No, no. This is like the size of an arm. It's about 13 inches long, maybe longer, and it was about two and a half inches thick, give or take. Spari examined the finger in detail and was able to determine that what he was holding was old, organic, and humanoid. The finger looked like it had been cut off with an atomical precision, and in some places it was crumbled because it's old. The leathery skin was ripped in places and the skin was a few millimeters thick. Between the dried skin folds, he could see remains of fungus in the nail that was loose. The surface of the skin was damaged in some places, as if mice or something had gnawed on it. However, the bone felt woody, and I'm not sure if that's what happens to bones over years, especially if they're mummified. Maybe they turn into a kind of spongy wooden texture. I don't know. I've never mummified a body before. Naturally, Spari was dumbfounded, as the abnormally sized finger would have meant that its owner must have been at least 16 to 19 feet in height. His skepticism led Nagib to show him another item contained within the box, a leather file folder containing a number of documents. Inside the file folder was a certificate of authenticity, some papers in Arabic and Latin letters, a Polaroid photo of the finger, and an x-ray made in the 60s. The farmer's son had some research done through the years and through a friend at the hospital of Cairo. When Spari compared the finger to the x-ray, he could see that the proportions and shapes were correct and that the x-ray was of the finger he was indeed holding. So Nagib refused to tell Spari where the finger was found, but made allusions to a hidden room in the basement of the Great Pyramids where a huge empty grave was located. Nagib made it clear that the relic was not for sale and it was too important to his family. Before he returned to his hotel, Spari took a number of photos where he put a bank note next to it just for scale. And looking at this thing, it is huge. The banknote or the piece of money, the currency, whatever you want to call it, is almost about the size of your front knuckle or this thing's front knuckle. So you know that like one by the nail? It's about that long. It's pretty crazy. Now on the way back to Cairo, Spari realized that what he had seen was very special. In the years following his viewing of the giant mummified finger, Spari did not speak much about what he had seen. And the few times he did speak about it, nobody really showed any interest. Science wasn't really cool with it, I guess. They were like, eh, whatever, it's probably fake, and moved on. And he believed this is because it didn't fit within the scientific theories that existed in the time. So, Spari took matters into his own hands and embarked on an intensive research into the possibility of the existence of giants in ancient times. He studied sacred texts like the Bible, specifically the Gospel of Judas, the Torah, the Quran, and many other writings containing tales and mythologies. He was surprised to discover that there are in fact quite frequently references to giants. Now naturally the Bible speaks with the Nephilim, the Hebrew word for giant, 
well, but also for fallen. Now, these Nephilim are giants created by the mixing of sons of gods and daughters and of men. Researchers and historians have presented different theories as to explain what these Nephilim really were, ranging from fallen angels, the descendants of Seth, the third son of Adam and Eve, or a product of extraterrestrials getting it on with some humans. Hmm, that'd be interesting. Even after the flood, in Genesis 6-4, you can find reports of giants. This could be because the Nephilim were spiritual beings and therefore were not bothered by the flood, unlike their earthly offspring. The Israelites came across these giants when they explored their promised land. Now, there's an interesting quote here, and I don't know who to attribute it to, but I'm going to read it anyway. Quote, in those days and also afterwards, there lived giants on the earth because the sons of God had intercourse with the daughters of men and they bore sons to their community. They were famous tyrants of old time. Now, Numbers 1333 quotes this. We also saw the giants there, Anakim, which come of the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes and in theirs. In the writings of Enoch and Moses, you can read about giants as well. In 1789, Flavius Josephus mentioned giants in his writings about the Jewish war, saying, quote, There were giants, much larger and shaped differently than normal people, terrible to see. Anyone who had not seen it with his or her own eyes cannot believe that they were so big. Through the ages, writings in which giants play a role have resurfaced time and time again. Delving into historical records and mythologies, the pervasive theme of giants emerges, scattered fragments of evidence in ancient accounts beckon us to consider the existence of giants. Colossal beings have left an indelible mark across many diverse cultures. Pausinians, an ancient historian, wrote in 280 about a 5 meter or 16 foot tall humanoid skeleton found in modern Syria. The Greek mythologies have the Titans, Germanic mythology has numerous giants living in Reisenheim, Don Antonio de Mendoza discovered giant skeletons in Peru, the Dutch navigator Willem Cornelius Schouten, that's a name, claims to have seen skeletons of at least 11 and a half feet in length. Giants are depicted on rock drawings in Ohio. There was a huge skeleton found in Minnesota in 1968. Radiocarbon dating could not continue because the skeleton vanished during its transportation, naturally. The Anuaki are a race referred to in the Sumerian texts that apparently landed on Earth in the area between Euphrates and Tigris. They passed their knowledge to the Sumerians, an early civilization with a very advanced culture. The Sumerian depicted humanoids of at least three times as large as the average person in their art drawings. Statues in Egypt depict gods as tall beings. Historians will tell you that this is to indicate that they were important, but it's also possible that they were depicting their actual size. Often there's a man of normal height to create context. A giant footprint embedded in granite that is around 200 million years old has been found in South Africa as well. There are actually too many references throughout history to just list, so that's just a few of them. Now, scientists have studied the pictures, but were not able to draw any conclusions on the basis of images alone. They were able to confirm, however, that the mummified finger appeared to be authentic, but rejected the possibility of past races of giants. They investigated the possibility of wherever the finger may be related to a disease that I can't say, but is also known as giantism or Proteus syndrome. The condition involves the excessive growth of the toes or fingers of the patient. This theory was subsequently discovered as the relic has normal proportions of thickness and size of the nail in relation to the length of the finger. In Proteus syndrome, this ratio is absent and the bone will be longer 
than normal. Svari traveled to Egypt again in 2009 to actively search for the relic. In 19 years, however, much had changed. And roads had been constructed, the nation has experienced significant civil unrest, and Naguib, an elderly man in 1988, was now most likely deceased. To date, the search has yielded no results, and it seems like the relic, as well as the custodians of said relic, have vanished. Nevertheless, Spari's encounter with the ancient mummified finger raises important questions about our past and our origins. Perhaps as new evidence emerges, there will one day be proof of an ancient race of giants that walked the earth. What do you think? Giants? Do they exist? Have they ever existed? Now I know there has been some very very tall people throughout history, such as Robert Wadlow who was born in 1918 and still remains as the world's tallest man at 8 foot 11. He only weighed 439 pounds at that height, which is like the height of the big show, <laughs> and he's like a foot and a half smaller. I digress. So that is a tall human being right then and there, but that is a far cry from 11 feet or 14 feet or 20 feet in some cases that these giants who from the past were believed to be. I like to think that maybe. I mean, back in the day, and I mean back in the day like prehistoric times, everything was bigger. There were giant mammals, there were giant dinosaurs, there were giant things, and look at whales, they're giant things now. And perhaps the reason that giants did just kind of fall off the face of the earth, if you want to think about it that way, is they couldn't sustain themselves. Human beings today need about two to 3,000 calories a day. Could you imagine being 20 feet tall? You'd have to eat non-stop. And if they're humanoids, which I assume they were just a, a break off of humans, then their dietary restrictions would be much higher. They wouldn't be able to do the same sort of thing that like whales and sharks and large predators today would be able to do. Take the largest land mammal on the planet in an elephant. They eat 150 kilograms of food a day. They're basically eating non-stop all the time and all their food is readily available. Grasses, leaves, shrubs, fruits, roots, depending on their habitat, the season, so on and so forth. A human cannot sustain that. Humans have to sleep. Humans have to have a diverse diet. They have to have, you know, their, their meats and their veggies and their fruits and and all that stuff wasn't readily available. There wasn't a Walmart back then. They would have to hunt and kill. And from my understanding, my very, very limited understanding of ancient history is that you'd kill a boar and that would last you a week because you had to make it work for a week because if you didn't, you'd starve to death, right? Keeping a human the size of an elephant alive would be damn near impossible, just dietary wise. But nowadays, you're going to get my little opinion on the episode in question at the end. So this is it. I think, yeah, maybe humans were gigantic at some point, or there was an offshoot of giant human beings, and they've simply just washed away. They became extinct because they couldn't sustain their livelihoods. But that's going to do it for me this week. What do you think? Let me know. Any way you want. I don't care. <laughs> Facebook. I think you can leave comments on uh, Spotify now. Speaking of which, my name is Casey. This is the Ominous Origins Podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or a five-star rating on Spotify. You can follow on social media if you want. I'm never active on it, but Instagram is Ominous Origins Pod or Facebook at Horror Shots. Until next time.